everybody welcome to the industry 4.0 community live stream this live stream is not sponsored by uh phoenix contact and plc next but they did send us this cool demo kit which we're going to be unboxing for you guys in a future video and today we have david schultz a member of our mastermind community the mastermind program is a sponsor of this the, this live stream so more on that later david welcome to the program hi thanks thanks for inviting me Walker, how's it going, Dave? Uh, yeah, I'll kick Good. it over to you, man. Yeah. So I want to say today's also sponsored by, not sponsored by, but <laughs> with no compensation whatsoever, it's sponsored by PinePhone. I got if my guys, Banjaro PinePhone. Like some of you guys edition. were reaching out to us. If you guys do want to ship us some products for review, definitely <laughs> we are open to that. Oh, we were just talking about that. <laughs> the uh, I'm actually going to be uh, running a broker on this PinePhone. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the pine phone, but I'm running the Manjaro Linux distribution on here. So, um, we'll be running a, a localized broker to do some edge analysis, uh, from this actual phone itself. So, um, That's anyway, I'll sick. be showing that in the, and then I'm going to be doing the same thing for the Librem five. Um, so, which is also a Linux based phone. Uh, all right. So Dave Schultz, um, yes. the, the one and only, uh, by the way, all of my VR avatars look like you. <laughs> um because i always go bald with uh -huh. my high with my flat rim glasses on the top uh right. so i always look like every time i create my my avatar in in my oculus in whatever application i'm using it always ends up looking like dave schultz even though i'm trying to go <laughs> i'm trying to make it look like me so oh funny well it's, it's a popular hairstyle that's for sure so dave why don't you tell us uh so you're obviously a, a very active member of the industry 4.0 community why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are your company what you do your background and how you ended up uh joining our community yeah so background about 25 years in uh, process control and automation uh, started off at the device layer so really around a lot of pumps and uh, control valves instrumentation you know really more equipment for the process industries and um, because I made some career changes, ended up uh, having a lot of experience with a lot of different equipments and a lot of different markets that are out there. Um, so as I start taking a look at the 25 years, just the number of uh, market verticals that I'm familiar with, that's a fairly extensive list. And a lot of it's just uh, geographically based. I'm here in the upper Midwest. Um, but um, because I did a lot of work with uh, some oil and gas uh, companies, you know, I'm pretty familiar with that market uh, through the complete vertical as well. Um, and because I had a professor in college one time that said, you know, keep moving, your own talent and interest will take you with the direction that you want to go. Um, I always liked the, even at the device layer, the, all the, the shiny blinky blinky stuff. And then finally, uh, when I built my first computer, I thought, this is pretty wicked cool. I want to know how this works. Um, so eventually, uh, about six years ago, got into the uh, PLC SCADA space. And uh, I guess that's just really where the, the, the interest took off. Um, so that's what I've been doing um, mostly. And, and of course, what I found is that as industry 4.0 has uh, really started to become part of our normal and regular lexicon, it's that there's a whole lot of platforms that are out there. And what I was finding uh, is that, you know, people didn't want to buy a platform. They wanted to solve a problem. How do we do it? And if you've mentioned in uh, several of your videos, it's, you know, let's solve a problem. You have to stay, you know, open and, and all the things that go along with it. And that's what they're just finding is they just, you know, they fundamentally don't scale. Um, so I, I've been aware of some of the things you've been doing here for a couple of years. And 
Um, finally, about the end of last summer, if you remember, we had this pandemic that was going through last year um, was, well, okay, cool. This is the exact type of stuff that I've wanted to learn. And I, I guess it's just, I, it's, I, 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 I latched on and I haven't looked back because it's just great stuff uh, every time. So um, it just, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make this into a big infomercial, but I tell you, if you're interested in industry 4.0 technology, this is a place you should spend a lot of time. A lot of great people here. Awesome. Thank you. So I see you got your board back there. So one of yes. the things I, I I'm constantly having to explain is, um, yeah, actually I'm going to go over it today. The digit, you know, why doesn't, why isn't the digital thread, the digital thread approach? Why is that not, you know, IIoT? Why is that not industry 4.0? And the answer to that question is it sort of is, but it's not the foundation of your IIoT infrastructure. And so uh, your board, you got back there, you know, I see you got a Groove Epic, you've mm -hmm. got uh, the CMT SVR. I do. You've got, you've yeah, got a Siemens. Is that a S7-1200, right? S7-1200, yeah. And then you've got the Easy Rack PLC there, the red one in the center. Mm -hmm. yep. And then you got the Amron, Amron at CJ lower left. And yep. looks like you've got the Direct Logics. Or right, the Koyo yeah. mm -hmm. there in the center, right? Right there in the center. And yep. is that a MicroLogix in the lower right-hand corner? Yeah, it's, it's okay. an 820. It's it's hidden by all my wiring. I need to get it cleaned up. I probably got some uh, Phoenix contact for some little wiring points um, so I can get that cleaned up a little bit. But So um, solution-centered, we, we talk mm -hmm. about two concepts, right? Solution-centered versus technology-driven, right? So solution-centered is the digital thread, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. And then technology driven is, you know, edge driven, report by exception, lightweight, open architecture. A perfect illustration is your board back there, right? You have some devices back there are solution centric. They don't support the underlying technology that we believe, well, actually, we know is required for successful digital transformation for an industry 3.0 company. You know, digital transformation really only applies. If you're an industry 3.0 company to go from industry 3.0 to industry 4.0 you're and the reason that's important is because those industry 3.0 companies the ones who have the automation but they don't leverage real-time data and information they're competing against companies who are already fully digitally transformed right they may not be full stack closed loop top to bottom but they're they're far way further down the road than you are that mm -hmm. board is a perfect example you have devices on there that support the have, support all the minimum technical requirements. So my CMT SVR, my Easy Rack PLC, my Groove Epic can all seamlessly interact with one another because mm -hmm. they all support the exact same technology. They're made by three completely different companies. One is Opto 22, one is Maple Systems, one is Easy Automation. And then you've got other devices on there that need help. They may support some part of the underlying technology the S7-1200 is a good example. It supports MQTT, but it doesn't support Sparkplug B. It's a little clunky. I don't want to say it's clunky. I actually love working with the 1200 and then that function block. That that Koyo PLC has got to go through a gateway, right? It is, it, mm -hmm. it, it, you, you got to go through a gateway. That MicroLogix has to go through a gateway to, to convert it to the technology you need it to be in. And one of the challenges that I have in explaining to people it, um, the value of technology driven versus solution centric is that illustration, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to explain how the Opto, the CMT, and the Easy Rack all can interact 
you know, with Ignition and Factory Studio all in the same way. They're not platform dependent. It's purely all about the technology as opposed to leveraging a Rockwell solution or a Siemens solution or a, you know, is it uh, automation direct solution, yeah. Coyo solution, right? Standalone. Mm -hmm. How do you, how, how has a working with the community helped shape the way that you inform your customers, right? What the difference between technology and Sluice and Cheshbrick and, and number two, how do you leverage that? How, how has the community helped you become better at communicating that message and developing those solutions is really what I'm asking. Yeah, so in participation of both the um, the mentorship and the digital mastermind, it's just really understanding what those concepts are. And in, in where I like it is because you continue to re you know, you, you go over the core messaging on every time of, you know, don't just, you know, do not make any assumptions on how the data is going to be consumed, those types of things. And so that all feeds into the whole, um, you know, what it is we're trying to do with digital transformation. So, you know, part of this, you know, early on, I think when it's like September was really some of the first, uh, when this, you know, the mentorship and DM uh, programs launched, it was go get yourself a board, go learn how to use this equipment, start bringing things together. And so a lot of it's just really been that guidance of these are the types of things you need to do. So, you know, my, my initial interest was, I just need to learn how all this stuff fits together because right. this is all brand new technology. Um, then the second thing is how I've leveraged that is now another person that's in the uh, the mastermind uh, program. Um, so Kevin and I, we started doing some videos so we can actually demonstrate. Here's how we take this Omron PLC, the micro, which I love, by the way. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we did that and we brought it all into, you know, one common. I built the exact same screen with every one of those showing you here's how you digitally transform even at the PLC level. And you know the whole purpose of the video is to say, look, most people think digital transformation, uh, transformation is I'm going to buy some cloud technology and I'm going to pull all my data to it, and then I'm going to magically have all these wonderful dashboards that are going to just you know open up just volumes, you know, open up the coffers so to speak of the market, and they're all finding well those efforts are failing. And part of it's because they've gone down this the solution centric approach of I'm going to buy a platform and it's going to just have all the magic stuff with it. Right. They, um, so, they, one of three yeah. things, they either pick the wrong partner, they have the wrong technology or they pick, mm -hmm. they have the wrong strategy. And, yeah. and, you know, I try to break everything down into the simplest terms is, is humanly possible, but it is amazing. Everyone in the, in the, everyone in industry is making the same mistakes. Not, and when I say everyone, I don't mean that absolute, I mean it hyperbolically, mm -hmm. but yeah. nearly everyone we come in contact with is, is, is making the exact same mistakes. Are you finding it challenging? Cause your company is G5, right? G5. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And Kevin, he is. He's with Ectobox. Right. Right. He's yeah. uh, mm -hmm. Ectobox. Right. So and another thing we talk about the community all the time, right? That, mm -hmm. that in order for us to help us manufacturer and we're foc obviously focused on us manufacturers, although we work with everyone all over the world, just mm -hmm. like you, I'm sure, you know, our goal is to help save and create middle-class jobs. Our mission is so, one of the things that we've always talked about is in our business, a lot of times relationships have been uh, it, tr treated as a zero sum game, right? Your gain is my loss. Um, you know, either we're going to agree that we're going to split on the commercials, that kind of thing, or, you know, I'm eventually going to stab you in the back and try to steal your customer and your employees mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And when I have been preaching all along that, you know, we have to create this community of like-minded thinkers that there's more work out there than anyone could possibly do by themselves. Once you finally 
get people over the hump, right? I mean, there's just more work than you could possibly get done. Not a zero-sum game. In fact, we have a massive shortage in the industry of people who can successfully help organizations digitally transform. Yeah. How do you anticipate over the next, now that you've been in the, in, in member of the community and been part of mentorship and digital mastermind for the last, whatever, seven months, right? Yeah. It is, um, how do you envision your business changing in the coming year? Oh, it's, it's game changing in the sense of, you know, still going back to the, uh, you know, mid 19 or 2020 is that we're still in the middle of COVID uh, pandemic. So, you know, companies, all their money was spent for COVID response, or even if they had money, they don't didn't have any people that were there to do it. You know, meanwhile, all of these needs have continued to be there. A, a number of digital transformation projects were shelved. Well, now those are starting to come back gangbusters. It's, you know, we're, we're past the election, we're past this, you know, ma this magical hump, we now have vaccines out, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the market conditions, now people are ready to get going. And it's about the same time that they realize that what they have been doing is not going to actually get them there. So, you know, my comment as far as being a part of the community, it's if you join and all you really get out of it is some, some good technical knowledge, some knowledge about different platforms and products and those types of things, to me, you've, you've really kind of missed, you, you've missed the mark because right. there's been, you know, we talk about this Saturday morning study group you know, that we have where we all get together and talk, you know, and here's, you know, a half a dozen guys that are on a Saturday morning getting together and talk technology and work through a lot of these types of things. It's that that's really what's here. And you know, when you posted that comment on, you know, how do you guys uh, plan your day? Uh, of course, I had the muse that was in, you know, using, um, you know, the Microsoft, uh, you know, OneNote. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, classic locker. Um, but all of a sudden, everybody jumped on of here's how I do it. Here's my prime. Oh, here, here is my at my core who I am as a person. So it's, it's not just having, you know, being technically fit, it's having, it's, it's emotionally and psychologically and spiritually and all the things that you're looking for, you know, in that. And these are the things that, that we talk about. So that's really fundamentally of just being able to get together with people and knowing that we're all here to help one another. And it, it's just so in line with, you know, just my core DNA of it's, I've always been very collaborative. And I used to get, you know, hammered for that early on of, oh, don't work with your competitors. They'll take your business. And it's like, but I solved the problem, right? Right. But, Which yeah. at the end of the day is the, is the whole point, right? Yeah. It's solving problems is the entire point. You know, it's, mm -hmm. uh, I often joke all the time. I'm not the commercials guys. Like, you know, a commercial, I, I, you know, I own many companies and I'm a business guy, I guess, technically I am. Um, but I, you know, the guys on my team will tell you, I'm not involved in any of the business stuff, you know, because I'm focused on solving problems. I'm focused on education. I'm focused on outreach. I'm focused on building this huge army. And the mandate that the business people have is just keep us in business, you know, make sure that we can keep paying payroll and we can do those things. But, you know, it's in this, in this, when you're in the business of helping, which is what we are, right? I mean, that's what integrators do. You're in the business of helping people who either don't have the time or the wherewithal or the knowledge to help themselves. That's a responsibility. That's not a job, right? That's not a, you know, that it, it is a, it's a responsibility you've been, been entrusted with, you know, and mm -hmm. I don't want to get too far off the beaten path yep. in terms of my overall philosophies about life and everything. But this community, when we talk about it all the time, you know, and you're a huge, you play a huge role in this, you and Dan and all those guys, um, you know, Mario and, you know, I, I always hate dropping the names because Andrew, I'm afraid yeah. I'm not mention somebody, but the, 
you know, you guys play a huge role in turning this community into what it is. And, you know, I'm grateful and, you know, get all you guys are on my prayer list every night. And, yeah. you know, I'm just incredibly grateful for the, 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 the group. So, yeah, um, it's mutual. So thank yeah. you. Uh, all right. So I, you're going to stay on and we're going <laughs> to, um, uh, I'm going to go through the questions and we're actually going to get into some interesting stuff today, uh, right off the bat. So let me Walker, um, go ahead, Zachary. So this one, this one, I just, I just kind of thought about it, but there's another one, the OPC UA, uh, over TSN, that video I shared in digital transformation. We have to react to that video if we have time, if we get to it at the end of today's stream. So make sure you guys stick around for that. Okay, great. All right, so I'm gonna just a couple of quick updates. Uh, let's give our weekly shout out to Dan Riken, member of the Rule of Borg. I this actually is appropriate when it considers the the thread that one of the threads we're going to talk about with the unified namespace, the Rule of Borg, which is what any nodes know, all nodes know, right? That's the unified namespace, right? Um, the other way I want you to think about it is this: is that you know, in for all you physicists out there, you know, string theory. There, there's a there's a sub belief in quantum mechanics about in in related to string theory that for every uh, atom in the world or in the universe there is a there's a companion atom that is exactly mirroring its behavior at all times they're not physically connected to one another but they are exactly mirroring their behavior at the exact same time the unified namespace is that. The unified namespace is the UNSs that we build is our structure and events of your business. The single source of truth for all data and information. One of the things I'm going to drive home today is that the unified namespace isn't in a place, not in a location, it's not like in the cloud. It's not at the plant. It's, it's not on the plant floor. It's everywhere, right? I mean, and think of it this way. If I, if I, uh, wh where is your plant network or where is the business network or where is the internet? Tell me the location of the internet. Tell me the location of your plant network. Tell me the location of your business network. You won't be able to, you'll be able to tell me where the data centers are, where the switches are located. You can, you could draw a big square around where it is, right? A meta a virtual one. The unified namespace is the same way. It's not in a place. It's in many places. It's everywhere. We make, we make copies upon copies upon copies. Uh, Dave, do you have a uh, Raspberry Pi or anything running on your board? Do you have a unified namespace on the board itself? running um yes i do yeah i actually have two different raspberry Pis. and do you bring from the cloud do you bring the topic namespace back down to the board do you subscribe to with a wild card and bring everything back um so on some of mine equipment i do on my edge devices i'm currently just publishing but i do have access i mean i, I could bring it in i guess just for the way i've set it up and architected i haven't currently okay I, I have a number of them yeah so the point is, is I have a unified, a local unified namespace on this board mm -hmm. that I publish into the infrastructure, but then I also have, I also subscribe to the complete unified namespace in the cloud and bring it back to the board. So I didn't move it. What I did was I made a connection. So it existed here too. I bring that knowledge. What happens is, is the unified namespace in the cloud notifies my broker here 
of all the updates. That that's how a UNS works. And so when people ask, well, where you know where there was actually a, a clarifying question that was asked today. What do you mean that it's everywhere? That's what I mean. It's all the places you want to put it. I mean, we have implementations where we've got. <clears throat> 100 copies of the exact same topic namespace all over the organization. Sometimes that's driven by, you know, network topology. Sometimes it's driven by security. Sometimes it's driven by, um, you know, sometimes it's driven by the fact that the person who wants to develop their edge solution wants to have their own broker to work with, but they want it to be a copy of the plants broker or the enterprise broker. Okay. Um, all right. So, Anyway, I want to, I want to, I'm going to drive that point home here today. Cause I, that, that question keeps coming up quite a bit. Hey, uh, shout out to the community. We're up to over 1200 members, whoop, whoop. just the discord server. Holla. <laughs> uh, we meant to shoot the economics of industry 4.0 for service providers and end users, <clears throat> excuse me, um, last week, but I, I think we're doing it today. Are we doing it this afternoon? Yes. Or is that tomorrow? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's with no, John and tomorrow. John that's and tomorrow. Travis, right? Yeah, no. we're doing that one tomorrow, I guess. Yep. And then, uh, and then the one of the things I wanted to throw out to the community is there was a question about, hey, you know, does anybody have like some demo PLCs or you know where I can get PLC data um, from? And one of the things I wanted to throw out to the community is, why don't we all just publish our simulators to the same broker and let anybody access it? Why don't we just do that? And um, and so if people are interested in that, um, either in this chat or in the general in Discord, please let us know. What I'd like, it would be nice if we could get six, seven, eight of us. We'll go ahead and license our instance in the cloud. And yes, that way it just stays up do. all the time. Yeah, and, and then we can just stream from our, our demo boards and we can just let anybody subscribe. We'll give them a read-only user and let them subscribe to the, to the edge data um, from that broker. Hopefully that's a, an idea people like. Okay. Yeah. All right. Question number one from Manjush. This has already been answered in a couple of different iterations, but I'm going to do a little presentation on this. So Manjush said, I was walking, watching Walker's video on this is your IoT strategy is going to fail. For those of you who haven't seen it, go back to the channel. It basically talks about you're using the digital thread solution-centered approach, and here's why it's going to fail. He asked the question, my question is when manufacturers decide to start their digital transformation, so that when an industry 3.0 manufacturer decides they want to start digitally transforming to become an industry 4.0 organization, A, do they have to get rid of the current ERP and MES software? B, is the UNS the same as the digital twin of your plant or is a digital twin a subset of the UNS? And three, can a UNS reside in the cloud? And if yes, then why can't solution providers who offered to take the sensor data from the shop floor to the cloud via an edge gateway, adapt the same architecture as Walker was describing. All great questions. Um, I did it. If you want to read my comprehensive response, you can, you know, no, they, they don't need to get rid of their software. Digital transformation is about having a two-pronged attack built on the same technology stack. Our technology stack meets our three minimum requirements or four minimum requirements, edge-driven, report by exception, lightweight, open architecture. In our case, we use MQTT 3.1.1, 4.5, and Sparkplug B. We don't use Sparkplug A at all. It doesn't have any, it doesn't have the encryption, it doesn't have the compression, and, and you can't send UDTs over it. So we just use the Sparkplug B spec. Um, A, augmenting existing systems with the new technology so we can plug their data and information into the UNS. 
your digital transformation for an industry 3.0 to industry 4.0 company. We have very specific rule. You know, if you're in mentorship or digital mastermind, you hear this stuff all the time. You know, our, what our rules for digital transformation are, what the steps are. Um, the, but for a company that's going from 3.0 to 4.0, so this isn't a new manufacturer. You know, remember, if you're an industry 3.0 manufacturer, you're competing against companies who don't have the legacy that you have. They don't have the legacy knowledge. They don't have the legacy infrastructure. They, they get to start fresh. Zach did a great video the other day uh, where he commented, uh, you, were, you commented on a podcast, uh, right? You shot that video. Yeah, that was yesterday. I'll link that yes. right here. Right. And the guy said in there, you know, that digital transformation is, in a, it's, it's continuous improvement. It is absolutely not continuous improvement. That is that it ignore. He said a lot of really good things in his podcast, but he got that wrong. And he also was advocating for like digital thread technology as the as the backbone of your digital transformation initiative. It is not. It can provide value and it's part of the ecosystem, but it is absolutely not the backbone. The unified namespace is the backbone, and I'm going to explain that here, and and I'm going to explain why. But digital transformation. If you are a industry 3.0 company becoming an industry and you want to digitally transform, you're going to change the way you do business. That's what digital transformation is. Okay. You, you can't go from being Honda and, and you can't continuously improve to become Tesla. You have to fundamentally change the way you operate to become Tesla. Okay. And if Honda doesn't become more like Tesla, Honda's not going to be in business. Honda's going to do something else. They're not going to make cars. Honda's going to become more like General Electric. Correct. They're going to become something else. They're going to, of, they're going to move the into different verticals. They're going to do finance. They're going to do investment. They're going to do, you know, whatever. They're going to invest. They're going to take capital and invest in companies. And that's how they'll stay in business. But they won't manufacture cars. Okay. So, and, and here's, and, and, and so digital transformation is, is not continuous improvement. It is a revolution. It is a groundbreaking bursting through a glass ceiling. The hardest part about digitally transforming as an industry 3.0 organization to become an industry 4.0 organization is overcoming your legacy. That's the hard, all the, all the things that we talk about, wrong strategy, wrong partners, wrong technology. It is, it's being able to get out of your own way, let go of what you, what your preconceived notions are about how to effectively manufacture. You got to let that go in order to take that company and move and become an, or you got to have exceptional leadership in your organization, exceptional leadership um, that can basically force everyone to get on board, right? So when you're digitally transforming from 3.0 to 4.0, you actually take a two-pronged attack. This, and, and this is where legacy companies are unique from emerging technology companies like companies like Tesla. You have to have a plan to integrate your existing infrastructure into a new business. You have to have, that's number one. That's your greenfield stuff. That's the direct logics and the micro logics and the, the S7-1200 that Dave's got on his board. And at the same time, you have to have a plan that gives you a specification for integrating all your new stuff. And that's the Groove Epic and that's the Easy Rack and that's the um, the CMT SVR you got back there. It's also PLC Next, and it's and it's the Wago PLCs, and it's all the stuff that supports your technology out of the box. You have a two pronged attack, 
Okay. Here's what happens. Prong A is how do I get all my old stuff in? Prong B is how are we going to do it in the future for all the new stuff? A phases out and B becomes the norm over long, over long term. If you're an emerging company, if you're an emergency, emerging industry 4.0 company, then you just got the B stuff. You have the advantage of just having the B stuff. Question the unified... from... Yeah, go ahead, Zach. Chris, Chris Gill asked, um, you know, you talk about having it everywhere. At what point does that become like network intensive or, you know, like when you have local copies of your unified namespace all across your plant, at, at what point does do you reach a critical mass? The answer is not, it's not at least until 10,000. I mean, I've done it up to 10,000 times in benchmarking with 100,000 topics in the namespace. So, I mean, it's, I mean, remember, only about 7% of all tags in a PLC change at least once per minute. So you're just bringing the whole thing over, but you're not, you're only changing. Well, remember, the, only, the only things that there's only, there's an initial birth publish. Okay. So if you look at Sparkplug B, so say I'm going to make a copy, say I go to my broker. And I go, hey, broker, I've, I set up a new broker on my board and I want to send the whole namespace. Now, we don't generally do that. We don't generally send the whole thing. We generally have the whole thing at the cloud layer and we have many copies and we're, we're really publishing up the stack. And then down the stack, we only subscribe to our own namespace, right? So if, if, the, if the machine learning layer creates something for my board, creates some prediction for my board in that namespace, I'm subscribing to my own namespace from the cloud. So I get all that, those updates from machine learning. I get all those updates from some an, whatever analytics I'm running, whatever Lambda functions I've got running, right? I, I'm getting the updates from the MES system. I'm getting the updates from the ERP for my stuff. What, so, but we also make copies everywhere. So the rule of thumb is publish everything going up enterprise has everything and then subscribe coming down stuff that's really relative stuff that applies stuff line. that applies to me but here's the thing let's say we want to you know digital transformation is about uh, one of the things i really loved about that podcast that you come that you you uh reacted to was he talked about the role of people right and digital transformation is really about unlocking potential on the plant floor you know what i mean I, I i've been preaching this my entire career the smartest people in your organization work on the plant floor. Okay, they're the most valuable people. They they can save you millions, billions of dollars if you would just listen to them. If you would just enable them to solve problems. Okay? Digital transformation is all about doing that. So, let's say let's say that I, you know, this is an area in my plant, okay? Several production lines, it's an area in my plant. But now I I'm in a, I'm a product engineer who's responsible for three areas in the plant. And what I want to do is I want to run, I want to run my own efficiency analysis across all three areas. Well, right now, the way you do that is I bring in a co-op for six months and have them walk around with a clipboard and collect data for me. And then I pivot it in an Excel spreadsheet. The, the industry 4.0 companies go to the broker namespace of all three areas, subscribe to them, bring them to my laptop and start running my analytics against, uh, you know, locally. I, I'm, I'm plugged into the ecosystem. I'm plugged into all the events and the structures of the business, right? That's what Industry 4.0 is about. It's about digital transformation. It's about unlocking that potential. You know, he said, you know, he asked the question, are, is, it, is UNS and Digital Twin the same thing? No, but he, it, it, they're similar. Um, a Digital Twin is a subset of a unified namespace. 
because a digital twin is a, basically a digital snapshot of the business. When Chris Giel asks a question about, isn't going to take the network down? No. Remember, only you're, the infrastructure we're using only publishes changes. And there aren't a whole lot of changes that happen in real time. There are, you, we don't see lots and lots and lots of changes. You, that initial publish of every topic in my business, that's a, that's a labor, you know, that takes a lot of overhead mm -hmm. to publish that birth certificate and to send that, that initial namespace. But after that, the only changes that happen, the only changes that are published are the things that are changing when they change. So it's like boop, Nathan, Nathan Drapella commented. Yep. Go ahead. I was initially thinking of the UNS as a database type storage of information. It's throwing me for a loop when you stated it's everywhere. Still not following. Okay. Think of it this way. Um, think, think of the unified namespace as a file share. Okay. So you create a file share in your business. Okay. And you share that file share with everyone in the organization. And you start by clicking on the company, you know, Intellic Integration. And then I work in the Dallas office. So then I would click on the Dallas folder. Okay. Then I would click on the engineering group because I'm in the engineering group. Double click on that folder. And inside of there, I would have a list of all the people, you know, a spreadsheet that's got a list of all the people, that kind of stuff, right? A, a unified namespace is that type of structure. Okay. The difference is, is that the things in the file share are the things that are all happening at this exact moment. It's the structure and all of the events. So let's say I decide I want to be notified every single time we add a new employee. That is, I add a new topic in the folder of the employees in the engineering group in Dallas. I can subscribe to that. I can say I want to be notified of that change. Let's say I want to be notified of every change. Every time a file is either updated or we add a new file, I want to know about it. I want you, I want the infrastructure to tell me that that change happened. It that's pushes what the updates to you. That's you what a unified namespace is. So the second I looked at my file share, that's what I would see. I, I would see the new file, except I would be notified the change happened. So I would be notified and then I could see as if, as if the file share that's running on my laptop is the exact is is the only file share that's what a unified namespace is let me ask you this question if you use dropbox okay uh, we don't use dropbox we use onedrive where is your onedrive where your your onedrive nathan or whatever your name is where is your onedrive where is it located oh i don't know i just sign into the infrastructure and all the stuff I need is there. And if I add something to it, it gets notified. That's what a unified namespace is. But at an industrial level, structured on ISA 95, it's omniscient, it's omnipresent, right? You can sync in OneDrive, you can sync only the directories you care about. Directories are topics. The difference is, is that the only thing that's in a OneDrive are files. A unified namespace contains data sets, it contains booleans, it contains floats, it contains information coming from a PLC in terms of the exact transitions when they happen. It, can, it contains aggregated and normalized data coming from a software application. It contains everything. It's all unified. And what unifies it is the technology 
and the structure. The technology is we use an MQTT broker namespace. We don't have to. We can use AMQP, DMP3. There's a bunch of them that we can use. We just use MQTT because it was built for industry. The other ones weren't, right? Arlen Nipper, when those when Philip 66 invented it, they invented it to be used in industry. There's a standard for industrial data and all that kind of stuff. So it, it they 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 all adopt the same technology. Okay. So everything is adopts the exact same technology. And and so then we're able to plug everything together. Let me let me show you, let me give you an illustration here. This is this is your business on the left-hand side. If you're an industry 3.0 company, okay? We have our automation stack, which you guys are very familiar with. In your PLCs, you're doing all your process automation, your PLC and your HMI. And your HMI, you're doing just machine control and, and monitoring. But there are things inside that HMI that are important to you. For example, the machine builder may only make this, this PLC HMI and ship all of the alarms the statistical, let's say you buy a centerless grinder, okay? And that centerless grinder has um, has an SPC control on it. That is, it's measuring the diameter of the pin that it's grinding. And then it's got a Nelson 3 rule applied to it. So it's got a set point. We want the diameter to be X. And then it's got some upper and lower spe specification limits for that diameter. And then we apply Nelson rule number three, which basically says, if I'm going to take a measurement of the thickness of that pin, and every time I take that measurement, if it increases, if it gets thicker six times in a row, that's Nelson three, we're going to go ahead and make a set point adjustment. We're going to, we're going to move the grinder to try and thin down the diameter, but we're not going to do anything until Nelson three is triggered. Okay. All of that may live inside the PLC and the HMI. Okay. All that important information, the algorithm that you're using, what's the current diameter, how many times have I have I changed, you know, changed the control variable um, or the process variable? How many times have I made an update to that process variable? All those things live inside of here. Okay. The supervisory control and data acquisition is plant monitoring and control. Many machines. It's the same thing, many machines. There's important information inside of there. There are alarms that you generate only in the SCADA system, nowhere else. You don't generate them in the PLC. You only generate them in the, in the SCADA layer. There may be cameras that only live in the SCADA layer. There may be, um, uh, there may be inline measurement tools. That is a, an inline um, um, profile gauge that's may, maybe measuring the, the profile of a pin coming off a centerless grinder. And that may only be in the supervisory control and data acquisition layer. It doesn't live anywhere else. At the MES layer, we have all of our work orders and what our schedule is and what's our efficiency calculation, recipes, all sorts of stuff. Warehouse management could fall in there. Lots of things fit under the MES umbrella. And there's a lot of information that's only in MES. Contextual information, important stuff. Assets, locations, finance, CRM, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera is inside your ERP system. And then you've got cloud. And, the, and the, way, the way that companies think about it right now is cloud is where we're going to throw everything and we're going to magically be able to, just like Dave said, we're going to magically be able to create value by just chucking all this stuff um, in, in a huge data lake, okay? How, how do companies try to achieve this? Well, 
what what was it? Raven.ai, right? They talked to Raven AI. This is how Raven AI tries to do it. They try to use a digital thread. Everyone tries to do this. Uh, if you use Azure IoT, they've got the Azure IoT gateway. They've got the Azure IoT platform, AWS with the green grass. Same thing. Everyone's trying to do digital thread and they can realize some value from it. That, but it's only high value. It's only high value targets that are solution centric. Okay. So digital threads basically say what I'm going to do. I've got my PLC and all my sensors and I, they're talking over field wiring. I'm going to put an edge IOT gateway out here where I create all of my individual threads. So in this case, I've got two sensors plus a PLC. I'm going to create a thread for all three of them. Look, thread for this sensor, a thread for that sensor and a thread for that PLC. My edge gateway, which I sell to you, has a connector that talks that can retrieve that thread. It has a, a common data lake and then an analysis layer that sits on top of it that can decipher the model from that thread. And then it has some visualization tools and templates and stuff that can also visualize it. So this is, this is the approach that everyone takes. Wherever you see green, it means you can tap into it with some other tool. You could tap into it in the data lake, or you could tap into it in an in a open visualization layer, right? If the visualization layer can talk to the data lake. But everywhere where you see red, that's a solution. It's wholly encapsulated. It is, they're try, what they're trying to say is, we're going to use digital technology to sell you a solution that we own, okay? We're going to, and guess what we're missing? All the stuff in these layers. I don't have digital threads for the SPC control running inside of my centerless grinder. And I don't have a digital thread model for my plant monitoring control. And I don't have a digital thread model for the MES layer. All those things are missing. Okay. Number two, you want to know where people tap into this? Here, here, and there. So because I don't get all this stuff, I don't get everything into the data lake. So what do I end up with? Data gaps. I, that is, I don't have all my data in the cloud, right? The approach that we take with the unified namespace is to treat all of these things as a node in an ecosystem. Dave's got a board back there where three of them natively plug into the infrastructure and three of them don't. Three of The three that don't, you've got to use a gateway to get them in. The three that do, they just, when you, when you run off that piece of machinery, say I'm using a easy rack as my, as the process controller in my machine, right? And we do this like in car washes. And I mean, we've used the easy rack in lots of places, um, uh, you know, places where it's, they have to go with really inexpensive hardware. The groove Epic is the replacement for like your compact logics or your control logics. Okay. So they're in that same price price point, right? And the CMT SVR is the replacement replacement for HMI layer. Okay. The, the CMT SVR is an HMI tool that's got a bunch of drivers that talk to PLCs and stuff. When you when you build a machine that's using a Groove Epic or an Easy Rack PLC with a CMT SVR for process control and HMI, all you're doing when you plug that machine is it point it to your infrastructure and the entire namespace gets published into the unified namespace. But if I'm using, you know, Siemens or I'm using Koyo or I'm using Rockwell or I'm using 
insert other manufacturer here, you, you have to manually unlock that data. This, this is what digital thread is. There are any other questions any that they want me to clarify? Yeah, no, that looks good. Okay. The digital thread is a solution. Wherever you see a star, that, that is something they're selling to you as part of the solution. What we're saying is, is adopt technology and then only go get the solutions that meet your minimum technical requirements. Okay. So you own the ecosystem. Correct. The ecosystem is something you own. You it's don't allow, you don't buy the ecosystem from a vendor, which is what most people are trying to do. And, and I'll tell you, you, the number one vendor that people are trying to buy it from is Azure from, you know, they're trying to buy it from Microsoft. You know, they're being, manufacturers are being sold a bill of goods. They're being sold a bill of goods that no, that people aren't delivering on. I don't want way too long on that answer, but um, hopefully it advise. Uh, Ragoon, can you please uh, any any comments on that, Zach? That I need I should respond to. Dave, did you want to contribute anything additional to that or? Uh, no, no, you you pretty well hit it. <clears throat> um, on there, I was just going to say on on the whole right? U yeah UNS. The last video I did was actually showing a UNS at three or excuse me four different plants that all published up to the enterprise. I didn't consume any of the data, but it was all there. So, you know, for instance, it was tank levels. If I wanted to know what's going on at my Danville plant and tank two, I can pull that up immediately and I have it right away. Um, so if I need it, I can ship it to my guy. And guess what happens if you're not using QoS2 and, you're, and you don't have the retain flag set to high, guess what happens if you publish structure and event that no one's subscribing to? It just disappears. It just goes into the ether until somebody starts subscribing to it. You're not doing anything other than transmitting that update. That's it. But it, it doesn't get stored anywhere. If QoS yeah. is two and you set the retain flag to high, then it's going to get stored whether somebody's subscribing to it or not, but it'll only be the last value. Yeah. Okay. The other comment on the second thing was that the, uh, so there's a company I'm working with there in this, uh, the AI ML space for uh, machinery health. The reason why I did that video around compressors and compressor modeling is because they're trying to use a digital thread. And I said, guys, instead of doing that build a unified namespace, you got to do it anyway. The value is that you are now a node in their ecosystem and they can now use that for the rest of their digital transformation. So they're actually taking a look at high bite happened to be the company. Um, so they can actually build all that connection in there. But I, I think that's where a lot of these companies are going. So that's it, why I have to smile and nod. One of the things that we do is we, uh, you know, when I'm demonstrating for customers, potential clients on what the UNS is, one of the things that I do all the time is I'll pick one of the plants that we've digitally transformed. And I will literally call one of my engineers and go, hey, can you remote in and, and publish plant whatever to me? And they'll literally, while I'm on the call with them, I'll have the namespace open. They'll publish and everything will show up. And I go, we just transmitted the, every single event and the complete structure of that entire facility and all 12 of their areas and all 70 of their machines is now here available to me. And they're updating in real time. And I can start building a solution. Let's say that you've got some other person you know, in Europe who wants it. We can go ahead and point and transmit it over there to them if they want to. Here's the other thing. You can transmit it and then turn the transmitter off. And as long as retain flags are high, they have the structure and all the last events to start playing with. Go ahead, Zach. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I want to answer Martin uh, Jacobson's question. He said, "How? But how likely is it that you will you can influence OEMs?" I'm going to answer that in a two prong approach. Number one, from the 4.0 solutions perspective, we were actually on the phone earlier today with Pepperell and Fuchs. I mean, these the there's there's the OEMs that get it, and there's the OEMs that don't. Correct. The second thing is, if you're the manufacturer, you ultimately have the ultimate influence. You have the ability to say no if that manufacturer or, or if you're a manufacturer and you're buying an OEM skid or you're buying any piece of technology really you have the ability to say no and unless they meet your minimum technical requirements you'll go elsewhere so we we work with the largest pharmaceutical company in the world one of the largest sugar water manufacturers in the world uh the largest oil and gas company in the world um uh, the largest uh food and beverage company in the world and we tell them all the time you guys have the buying power. You're the ones who have the influence. What our approach strategically is we are going to we'll go ahead and convince the end user that they have to they write this into their specifications. Part of what we do with our digital transformation maturity assessment is we end up giving them the specification that we that they need to give to their machine builders and to their OEMs. And the, and 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 trust me, I mean we don't there's there's not a financial incentive for us to do it. I don't have a company that makes a product that um well, MES 4.0 I guess, but we don't even actively market that. I mean, it's not like we, we you know, we don't we don't try to sell it. I mean, it's not hell, we have people asking us to sell it to them, we haven't sold it to them yet. You know, um we don't have a financial incentive for doing it because our goal is to help I'll tell customers all the time I do not give a shit if you work with me. Okay. I don't, I don't care if you use our company, but I do care that you do this. I care that you do this thing because if you don't, the people who work for you are going to be looking for other jobs. That's what I tell them. And, and, and so to answer your question, as, as, when it comes to the OEMs, two years ago, I would have agreed with Martin today. I do not agree. 75% uh, of all the OEMs we talk to, are coming to us to help to walk them through this process. 75% of them. And I know Dave is obviously, you know, talking to OEMs too, and they they want that input. Three two years ago, it was maybe one in four. Now it's three in four are saying, help us. We we want you to evaluate this technology to make sure we got it right when we did it. Okay. Um Question of the day, have you ever had to deal with a cave person when working on a project? I wanted to give my answer on this one. A citizen against virtually everything. How did you handle that person? What techniques do you do to overcome their barriers or inaction? Zach, go ahead. Would you? I was going to say, did you skip over that uh, ignition redundancy one? Did I'm going to go or... right back to it here. Okay, got it. Yep. Um, cave people. Uh, it's pretty simple. Number one, figure out why they're a cave person. Most of the time, it's bad leadership. They they worked for a... a a lead, uh, you know, leaders who did not enable them to solve problems. So you want to understand why that person is a cave person, a citizen against virtually everything. It could also be because they're three years away from retirement. You handle the two of them differently. Okay. If they're three years away from retirement, you do you don't do anything about that cave person. You just make sure they're not part of your initiative. You know, they're not part of your team. You know, you let them, you know, kind of glide into the sunset. Um, now there are a lot of people I meet who are three years from retirement who want to, they want to go out with a big bang. They want the one, the last big hurrah is they want 
their name attached to this digital transformation initiative. It, so, it, but if it's bad leadership, then the way you overcome them is by being a great leader. So I do not, I personally do not believe that anyone wakes up in the morning, rolls out of bed, puts their feet on the floor and says, man, I want to do a shitty job today. I don't believe anyone does that. Okay. But yet we all know people who do a shitty job. And the reason why is because they have been disenfranchised. They're disenchanted. They have not been enabled to maximize their ideas, their gifts, their innovations. So the, one of the ways you overcome a citizen against virtually everything is by, a, is by being a great leader. And, and being a great leader is all about setting expectations and enabling them to succeed with their idea. The, their thir the third type is the citizen against virtually everything who, who is a, um, has a personal issue, a personal vendetta. There's nothing you can do about that person other than stay away from them. So what I do is generally get them out of the project. Um, you know, hey, this person can't be part of the project. Um, they're going to have, you know, we, we need to reappropriate them somewhere else. The vast majority of cave people are either people who are very close to retirement and they just, hey, I don't, I don't want this in my last couple of years. Okay. And I can respect that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Uh, or the person who has worked for a really bad leader who didn't enable them. You can overcome the second one. You absolutely can. And by the way, they'll become the biggest ally of the entire, of the entire initiative if you convert them. Okay. All right. Let's go back to this redundancy question from Ragoon. Can you please comment on how the redundancy server and ignition work? Is there a notification when the redundant server syncs with the primary server so that we manually switch over to the primary? Walker briefly commented. Yeah. So here, here's how it works, guys. Works two ways. I've got uh, two ignition servers. Okay. I have two ignition servers. And, it, and I'm going to configure this in a um, hot, so a warm backup. You have two types. You have warm and cold. Um, cold copies, but there's really no state between the two. We're going to talk about warm because this is the way most people do it. So this is one of them is configured as the master, and one is configured as the slave. I don't know if they use master and slave anymore. It's a California company. They might have changed, you know, turned some, use some euphemism. So if it is a euphemism, I can't remember. Right? I don't remember if it's primary backup or whatever. But I it used to be master slave. primary primary secondary. Yeah, primary, secondary. There you go. All right. Here's how it works. The primary, secondary has the these have a they are part of one tag namespace. Okay. Together. So only everyone only interacts with one at a time. Okay. The the consumers only interact with one at a time. Okay but they are part of one namespace. So inside of the tags, inside of the system tags, you'll have, you know, your gateway tags and you'll have uh, you know, redundancy and it'll it'll be true and then, you know, and then it's like uh secondary server IP, that's in there too. Uh primary IP, that's in there. And then it'll tell you then there's a namespace for the primary and it'll tell you whether it's active or not. Right. It's a Boolean, I believe. Yeah. So it'll tell you which one is active. So it doesn't matter where, which one is active. You're going to have a value for both. 
Right, because you could get into a split brain. Split brain. Correct. So it's going to tell you which one is is active. Okay. So you have one set of tags, but for the redundant servers. Let's say this one goes offline, and this, and now we move over here. These clients, nothing happens with these clients except they have a quick flash. They part of the project when they downloaded it was which gateway do I connect to in the event the one I'm connected to is disconnected? So then it'll it'll switch back over to here, okay? The It doesn't automatically switch back to the master, by the way. Yeah, it, there's stickier and there's automatic. Right, so, what, so by default, it switches over to the secondary and if the primary comes back online, it stays connected to the secondary. So you could you troubleshoot change, your primary. Yeah. While you troubleshoot the primary and then you can set, and then you, then what you do is you push the button to switch it back over to the primary. That's how this works. Hopefully that answers this question. Um, all right. A Matt, quick question from Mr. Wootland before I forget, which version of Raspberry Pi is recommended? He's got a two gig and a four gig. Is it worth getting the eight gig? He just said it's up. So Dave can chime in. I'm using uh, over here. I've got a Raspberry Pi three, um, with whatever you know, one gig or whatever it is. It's on there, quad core. Um, I have a Raspberry Pi four over there that I I have an eight and a and a four gig. And then uh, someone else asked, which platform was the best for digital twin modeling that you think is the best? Digital twin, like actual digital twin modeling. Yeah. Um, none. All right. Um, <laughs> it, it, the best modeling software that I've worked with is Highbyte. Um, but Highbyte isn't a digital twin modeling software. Um, none of the cloud-based digital twin solutions are of any... Because you're not, you need the unified namespace first before you even talk about a digital twin. Because a, a, a unified namespace powers your digital twin. Well, yeah. The issue is, is that you're not. That assumes that you can model your digital twin from the from the top down and not from the not from the edge up. <laughs> first define digital win, or no, first define digital twin. Correct. Michael Dow said, "Yeah, I want to answer." Paris's question here, and we'll end Sounds with good. this. I think. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, hold, on, hold on a second. Let me do John Forbord's question. So, regarding the ever so evasive digital strategy, how do you start a process of building a company's digital strategy? What kind of questions should a digital strategy answer? What should a digital strategy contain? Who should be involved? This is a digital transformation maturity assessment. This question right here is the DTMA. The process of going through and evaluating the business, you know, the steps to digital transformation, inventory business, inventory intelligence, right? You know, um, design your architecture, build your team, and connect everything to the unified namespace. That first two pieces, inventory the business, inventory the intelligence, is all about this. It's creating your strategy. And that is the process of the digital transformation maturity assessment which we are teaching everyone how to do. So we did the, the webinar last week, and then we're 
those who are in mastermind are going to go through the actual training later in the year. Um, Mason, I already answered this right here where, where I, I, you know, I think what we're going to do is we're going to publish all of our, um, edge, edge, um, data to a unified broker in the cloud. Um, Henning asked a question in, in, uh, digital factory mastermind, um, part four, uh, Walker shows us the namespace of a line item. There's quite a lot of data in the line namespace that's coming from multiple sources, machine events, user input, SAP. I have an idea how I could assemble this information with Ignition. Let's take OEE calculation as an example. Am I right that there's a script that is calculating my OEE? Uh, in that case, what you were seeing, yes. It's not a script though. It's a Python package that consumes the events from the database and the, the, live, the live events inside the OEE tag namespace. Um, and then it does the processing every 60 seconds. So every 60 seconds, the engine, what it does is it goes into the namespace and it looks for all of the production lines where there's actually a Boolean that says process data. It, it actually, the, the Python library actually navigates the namespace, looks for the OEE namespace and looks for lines that say, I need a calculation. That's basically what it has a flag it says, calculate me. What it does is it does a calculation, it inserts a record into the database, and then it updates all the tags inside the, or the topics in the topic namespace. Assuming you would, uh, you'd build with a UNS tool like Highbyte, how would you get your OEE calculation in the line namespace? Um, many, lots of different ways. I mean, you could do that strictly through the database and have Highbyte consume it into its model. So, or, but the, we like to do that in the IoT platform. That's why we do it in Ignition because all of those various connectors are kind of unified there and you have that scripting engine and we can call external Python libraries. We like to do it inside of Factory Studio. If you look at our MES system, the MES functionality that we have in MES 4.0 is platform agnostic. It works in Ignition and it works in Factory Studio because they all support the same technology. None of it is platform dependent with the exception of the visualization piece we have a set of visualizations in Factory Studio to visualize the namespace, and we have a set of visualizations inside of Ignition to visualize the namespace. But everything you see on the screen is coming from the unified namespace. There's nothing on the screen that's like querying a database directly or anything like that. It's all being visualized through the topic namespace. Where's my calculation running if it's not in a tool like Ignition? Our calculation is not running in Ignition. It's running in a Python package. Uh, would I need to have an additional MQTT client that pushes the results? You could, yes. Um, I don't know if I would do that though. Uh, I, I'm not. I. I mean, I, there. Are, there's no digital transformation initiative that we do, where we're not either using uh, Ignition, WinCCOA, Factory Studio, uh, Highbyte. In fact, we're including Highbyte in basically every implementation now. Um, it, Highbyte's about the only, you you know, the thing we're using everywhere. Um, uh, we use Ignition a lot. Um, you know, I'd say 90% at least of our implementations have Ignition licenses. Um, more and more now have Factory Studio. We use WinCCOA only if they've standardized on Siemens. We like the platform, but it, you know, cost-wise and dealing with Siemens and all the, you know, the German stuff that you got to deal with um, is kind of a pain in the ass, but it's worth it. Um, any any other questions come through the YouTube um, before I do Paris's? 
Um, let me see. You guys, any more questions? Sorry, we're going a bit long today. Uh, no other questions at the moment. Probably need 10 more minutes to, to get through Matt. Um, all right. So we're looking, Matt said um, he's looking to modernize an architecture where the plant quality data is stored as discrete results in a central SQL database on the plant from many plant floor PCs for archival. The PCs also query this data during runtime to properly execute production. The current architecture doesn't lose data. So the primary goal is continuing that. Considering MQTT with software to subscribe and store in SQL to feed existing reporting applications, newer applications would be able to get the data straight from MQTT. Given there will be an MQTT cluster on the plant floor and the PCs will be MQTT clients for the runtime queries, is QoS2 with retain flag set sufficient? Uh, the answer is nearly, um, nearly sufficient. The last thing you need is you need to make sure that your MQTT client supports Spark plug B so that you can get store and forward. You got to make sure that you support store and forward from your clients. Seems that it'll serve the purpose, but how to recover from a power cycle of the brokers. Store and forward will do that for you. So here's basically how stored forward works in Spark plug B. I, let's say I've got, um, I'm running ignition edge on the edge and I turn store and forward on. Ignition edge is a, it's an MQTT Spark plug B client. Okay. If I, same thing with factory studio, same things with Canary Labs, Historian, you know, any of the Spark plug B tools, they, if you have store and forward enabled, basically what happens is the local machine will store the event and the timestamp in, in an array in its order until you run out of this space or until you run out of the amount of space you allotted to um, store the data. When you reconnect, what will happen is the MQTT client on the edge will basically stream the events in the order that they happened. So it'll be, it'll publish at whatever interval, say one second, it'll publish the first record value timestamp. Since the timestamp comes from the edge, it doesn't matter when it actually gets to the broker because the timestamp that's used when it gets to the broker is the one that is used to store in your MQTT client um, up above. So basically what happens is they stream one at a time. Boom, boom, boom. You set it to like 50 milliseconds, it goes flies right through the array and just publishes one right after another into the topic namespace. It gets picked up by the clients. They get the accurate timestamp and you're good to go. Would a historian software be able to write back the data when it powers back up? Yes. It seems I'm quickly leaving the realm of out of the box functionality. Nope. Um, th this is, this is in the box functionality for Canary Labs in the box functionality for Ignition Edge, um, et cetera, et cetera. Any recommendations on the historian use Canary? I've seen the overall on Canary and Factory Studio didn't um, we as as long as the as long as the client can afford it we're using Canary. We do not use Ignition and Factory Studio both have built-in historians, but we don't we only use those like for uh, like running trends on the process, like HMI style trends, not analytics. When you're talking about analytics, you want a NoSQL historian. And that's what Canary is. Canary stores all the data highly compressed in flat files. And what Canary's intellectual property is, is their ability to compress it and take up very little room and then be able to retrieve it as if I'm querying a SQL database from a, from a flat file. That's where Canary, that's what Canary is really great at was the compression of historical data into flat files, one for each day. 
and then being able to, you know, you can use an ODBC connector to query Canary's historian for your historical data. And you would never know it's not in a SQL database. Um, and then Matt said, thanks for teasing the question. To clarify, I'm looking for a way to access transaction data through MQTT. For example, give me all the results for serial number XYZ when there are tens of thousands. SQL handles this easily, but I don't see a current standard for this through MQTT. Um, so the way that we do it is we'll use a series of topics. We will have a query um, in our topic namespace that can query the data. We will use a, uh, a, a string topic for our where clause. So I may have one topic in the topic namespace that's all of my query except for the where clause. So it'll be where equals whatever the value of this other topic is. And then all I do is make the adjustment in that topic. And then the data set that returns to that topic, the original topic's got the query in it, is a function of what the where clause statement was in the other topic. Um, talking to Canary and Highbyte this past week, this doesn't seem to exist. I don't think it's in Highbyte, but in Canary, it does exist. Um, well, store and forward exists in Canary. Ignition is really where you would do this, by the way. You would do it in your platform, your IoT platform. Um, in Ignition, we do this all the time. My first thought is that each of our equipment has two interfaces, a UNS for real-time data and specific historical tags, and then a relational database connection to get data in a query style. Um, would be curious what your take is. Process data seems to be covered, but the transactional. Yeah, you need to use Ignition here, Matt. We should just do a phone call and show them how to do it. Join, you, join, you did that on purpose. You did that on purpose. Join the 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 viewership started to go up there. Join the Industry 4.0 Community Discord server, guys. Join the Mastermind program. It's it's a it's a large investment, but when you break it out over a year and you look at where you're gonna go, anyone who's joining, you guys are supporting this right here, and it really helps out make this content possible let, for you guys. And so let me you. say something. I do not want the community sending a message to this guy. Do not. Sorry, do don't. That. Yeah, don't do that. Sorry. Don't do that. That Zach wasn't being really serious. Do not do that. Because I, I assure you what will almost certainly happen, we will have a conversation and we will have a meeting of the minds. We will come to consensus. I don't have any doubt about that. Because he makes some he makes some statements in there that tells me he does he does get it. He understands he does get it. There, it's almost certainly that he has a misconception of what MQTT is and he has and he has he doesn't do the types of projects that we're doing. I mean, he just simply doesn't, probably because he doesn't believe they're possible because he uses OPC UA all the time. Appreciate you guys. All right, guys, that's it. We're going to end it. Thank you, guys. See you guys next week. Bye. See y'all. Bye-bye.